It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please, send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, mix him with mutant frogs, and a plot to fuck all the women of the wasteland? Why you get the film, hell comes to Frogtown. everybody and welcome to another edition of the terrible terror podcast and i honestly want to start this off by saying thank you thank you thank you for the suggestion for this film you know who you are and uh i'm very humbled and honored to have fulfilled your request uh and it's really no joke when i say thank you because one you've given me the idea for the month that's right it's roddy roddy piper month for may uh, I don't know why I decided to pick May to do this, but, you know, it's been way too long before I even did a Roddy Roddy Piper movie. And this is a film I've never seen. Of course I'm talking about Hell Comes to Frogtown, which you're listening to right now, so you sure already know what movie I'm going to be talking about this time. But it's funny that this movie and the movie that we're going to be doing next, that you'll find out at the end of the podcast, which I'm pretty sure you've already guessed what it might be, came out in the same year. That film came out in November of 1988, and this came out in January of 1988. Crazy that he had two movies within the same year that varied in quality greatly. He also had a great horror director to do the second film, and here, well, he did what he did to get by. But Honestly, off the bat, I'm going to tell you that this is an entertaining movie. And if you haven't seen this film before you listen to the podcast, and maybe you're like me in terms of certain podcasts where you listen to them and you don't watch the movie beforehand before they talk about them, uh, I almost suggest that you literally just stop it right now and watch this film before finishing the rest of this podcast. It is will surprise you uh you're either gonna love it or you're gonna hate it i really don't think there's a middle ground on this and it really has to do with a lot of the subject matter for the film now if you're just going to continue on listening to the podcast it's fine because again just like every other podcast that i do we're going to go through the whole film uh but there are so many one-liners in this film that i didn't want to just grab little two second clips to play them for you so there's going to be two things there's a couple of clips that are going to sound a little weird but that was mainly because there's a lot of silence that extended the length of the clip and i kind of try to truncate it down a bit so that way the clip is a little bit shorter and uh but it does seem a little uneven and it's mostly with a couple of the ones in the beginning towards the end 
it doesn't really work so well because you got to cut out music in the back. You know the whole deal. Uh, so uh, you get a good feeling for the film, but I encourage you right off the bat to watch this movie any way that you can. Uh, you can do it as one of my friends says and go sail the high seas or, you know, rent it from Amazon or iTunes or probably even on YouTube. And probably there's a way that you can at least find really good clips of the film uh that will work inside like alongside this review because there's a couple of things that i'm going to talk about that you really do need the visual of what's going on and it's mainly two scenes and you'll get what i mean as we go along with this podcast so what else really is there to talk about uh for the beginning of this film it's a film that I've never seen. I've heard a lot about this film, especially within like the last couple of years where it seems that more people have come to know about this film. And I'm pretty sure there's, especially the person that suggested it to me, uh, they've known it for a lot longer than I have. Uh, and for me, it's the first time. It's really weird. I love doing these types of episodes, though, because you get a very fresh feel for what it is. And, of course, when within the first 15 minutes of the film, you see a sign that says, No condoms, man, you know that you're in for a ride uh, of a film that definitely is in on the joke that it is playing on the audience. And those are really my favorite, the ones that are a little more self-aware. And it truly is... Uh, no bones about it. It's a terrible movie. It, it's absolutely, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially how we meet our character and characters that are introduced and get killed right away or really don't have any other things to do except for be called squid lips. Uh, it's very weird. I mean, let's take a look at the very first lines of dialogue that we hear in the film. In the latter days of the 20th century, there arose a difference of opinion. The leading experts at the time believed a nuclear war would only involve the exchange of a few bombs, and then the suitably horrified combatants would sit down at the peace table. They were wrong. In just 10 days, 10,000 years of human progress was virtually blown to dust. Ten years later, they tried again. So, okay, a bunch of people that are just wildly firing off nukes, right? They get trigger happy, and they're just going to be like, oh, no, we'll stop. Sure, sure they'll stop. No, they're just going to blow everybody to kingdom come, right? That's what almost happened back in the day, if everybody knows their history lesson. Uh, but we were smart enough to stop it, and according to this film, the people that had control of the nukes, once they let one go, gotta let another, then another, then another. Till now we're ten years past the world war, well, the nuke war, I guess we can say, and it's a barren wasteland. Well, at least the areas that this was shot in. Uh, it seems like most of this movie is pretty much just shot in a couple of areas, and I'm guessing it was shot in Australia. I mean, just kind of looking at it, uh, it's a barren desert. Uh, there's really not a whole lot. They build, like, maybe one set of buildings, or they filmed a dilapidated, like, X apartment building in the middle of nowhere uh, that they turned into a part of the set. Just because, hey, this looks apocalyptic, and people uh, live in poverty and, you know, aren't going to go anywhere. We'll just film right here. 
Uh, and it's really fun because we get introduced to somebody named Squidlips. Uh, and I think the guy's name was like the doofus who approaches him and basically is like bullying the poor little guy with a mask that you can't really see what exactly he is. But you know what he is because you've probably seen the trailer. Uh, but he's not in any of those characters, case that you see in the trailer. But you know that he's probably a mutant, especially when he calls him Squidlips. The doofus guy does, and then he says, "Oh, hey, look, you've got a gun. You're not supposed to have that gun." And the guy shoots him dead. Uh, the Squidlip guy shoots the other guy dead, and that's it. Then you go into the title theme, uh, and there's. I got to make sure that I have the note down here. There's something that I want to talk about at the end of the movie that has to deal with the music. And I don't want to do it right now because it's not that the music is bad, but there's just one missed opportunity that I wish they had done that uh, we'll talk about when we go through the ending of the film. So from here, we go through these credits. We see pictures of Roddy Roddy Piper. We see that Rory Calhoun, Rory Calhoun, you realize the only reference that I actually have for Rory Calhoun is the Simpsons. That's right. When Mr. Burns steals all those little uh, puppies, the greyhound puppies, he says, oh, that one's standing like a little Rory Calhoun. And I've never actually really put him together, and he happens to be in this film. And then when I saw him, I recognized who he was, because he kind of, at least towards the later years, played a similar type of character to what he's playing here, at least the look of him. And yeah, you might recognize him you might not recognize him but uh honestly my biggest reference again is the simpsons uh standing up like a couple little rory calhouns uh so uh but they go through the weird title card sequence where they're like kind of bumping it and like i don't know how to explain it but it's like enlarging getting small like bumping in your face uh, and then we see Roddy Roddy Piper and his character Sam Hell, and he's getting interrogated uh, by somebody that's being overtly aggressive. You got that wrong, friend. Anybody who says any different is a liar. Liar was my daughter. <laughs> I think we'll start here. Captain Zeppelin, how the hell did you get in here? With this. And this. And what the hell does Meg Tech want here? Him. This prisoner was accused of sexual assault. Ah, your daughter has changed her story. Once she found out she was pregnant, she must have had a change of heart. Right. Was it possible? That's what we thought, too, until we ran some tests. This man is carrying a loaded weapon, and Meg Tech on a provisional government authority now claims it. No, this man is a scavenger. Freeze on young women. Oh, we know his record. And yours. That's why you're being reassigned to the border. There's a truck waiting outside. So, if you don't know by now, there is... Well, the first thing that you see is before the scene hole starts, is they have like a wanted poster for Sam Hell, and it shows that he's been captured. Oh no, he's been captured. Uh, but what she's talking about uh, is... <laughs> 
Well, I don't want to give it away just yet because we find out in a second what the main theme of this movie is. But what we know at least somewhat about our supposed hero, because everything that we've seen so far in trailers and pictures and everything else is that he's the guy for the day. He's going to come and and his name is the fucking title of the movie, right? Hell Comes to Frogtown is actually really Sam Hell Comes to Frogtown. They just cut off the Sam. So... You have this guy that is accused of rape. That's the first thing that we get to see. And of course, we know, we know, Roddy Piper would never intentionally do anything like that. And he wouldn't even unintentionally do anything like that. He gets all the chicks, okay? That's that's just the way it is. Especially during 80s wrestling with that hair, those golden, curly fucking locks, shining in the sunlight, wind blowing through his hair like giant diamonds in the sky. Oh, Roddy. And then he comes in with that fucking badass bagpipe music, the only time that bagpipe music has ever been fucking badass, by the way, and goes and kicks some shit. That's what I'm expecting out of this fucking movie. I'm expecting him to be, like, totally down with the ladies and to fucking kick some ass. And we do get some of that, but... Uh, I kind of digress. So he's basically being taken control by the military. And this interrogator just happens to be the victim of poor Sam Hell here. And, and the interrogator, that's Captain Devlin, okay? Uh, and it was his daughter that basically got, well, as far as we know so far, and as far as Captain Devlin here thinks, uh, got raped by Sam Hell. Uh, or at least had sex with her. And turns out that the reason that they want Sam here is because he actually impregnated her. And so she decided to actually withdraw the accusation of rape. And this kind of puts Sam Hell in the clear for some reason. But of course, Captain Devlin, being the father, is really, really upset. But he gets reassigned to be Border Patrol. And that upsets him even more. So we have this lady and she i don't know how else to say it right but she sounds exactly like she looks she's a sassy african-american lady and she has an assistant with her that's played by sandra bergman and bergman honestly puts the i would say the best performance in the whole freaking movie like she plays it like a straight person for almost the entire film and yeah she does become something kind of stereotypical she never really becomes like the damsel complete damsel in distress she's still got her wits about her and she's playing the movie like it's an actual role and not just a paycheck you know you see some of these people in these movies and they're in it for whatever it is and i'm not saying that bergman here she's the most famous actress in the world but she's been given a role and she plays that role extremely well and it's one of the highlights of the film even though the character kind of weighs on you after uh, I'd say about 40 minutes of the movie. Uh, That's until we get to one of my favorite scenes uh, of the entire film. So she unchains them. The devil and he gets sent off into the wastelands. And uh, we go over to the doctor's office. And our, I guess, leader of the military. I'm not sure exactly what her position is. But she explains more to Sam Hell what exactly or I should say why exactly they are specifically interested in him. Mr. Hellman, I can understand why you're so popular with the ladies. 
You've left a string of pregnancies everywhere you've been. So far. You have the highest spermatozoan count we've ever tested. Must have been all that fiber I ate when I was a kid. I'm authorized to offer you a clean slate. All charges dropped. Now, MedTech's main assignment is to locate and impregnate fertile women in the wastelands. Now, we need potent young men in the fields to assist in this great work. Men who can take care of themselves, who know the territory, who can perform under difficult conditions. Do you feel up to it? Are you serious? Okay, so there's the main plot of the movie. I mean, we still haven't gotten the whole plot, but there's a very big portion of it. The reason that they're after him is because his jizz is like fucking gold, okay? He is super fertile, and he's able to just impregnate women. And that's why she dropped it, because she actually got pregnant. And it's like, okay, well, since I'm pregnant, you know, I guess it's not rape. And we really never know if it's that. And that that's such a weird concept to me when it comes to this film. Because why would I want to be rooting for somebody that... Did such. I mean, he says, no, it wasn't. That's the very first line that you hear him say. Where he says, no, it wasn't rape. Or, it wasn't rape. Uh, but, it's weird. Is Are we to believe him or are we to believe the other character? Do we believe him because of the way that he changes throughout the story? Or is it really that he's just kind of lying about things and we never really know? So, it's funny, too, because there's a lot of random signs around the, uh, I guess, medical bay that's there, where you've got the no condom sign, and you've got the other sign that says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and conquer. See, there's two warring signs, and they basically want to get more people. So, they send these men out into the wasteland to go fuck women that can impregnate them, that can give them more people so that... They can have more people to fight? It's such a weird fucking concept. And that's really what... <laughs> that's all his character is good for. And that's all most of the men that are a part of the army are good for as well. The women are the ones that seem to control everything in this world. And the men are just there to be a part of the armor, to be the most fruitful guys so they can fuck as many women as possible that are fertile uh, to give them more soldiers and more people that hopefully they can increase the population because, well, we nuked the world to shit. Well, I can explain it so much. How about we let her continue? The war reduced our male population by 68%. It made most of the human race sterile. But we're still at war. A population war. Each side is desperate to rebuild and rearm. Now that requires manpower. Manpower requires people. And that's where you come in. Okay, can it be safe to say that China is probably the one that's, you know, winning the war right now? Because unless they got nuked to shit and killed most of their giant fucking population, uh, that the West would be totally screwed and could just be invaded. We don't know. Is it just a wasteland of the U.S.? Is it just the U.S. fighting against each other? Or is this just some alternate fucking universe where, hey, it doesn't matter what side's what, there's just two sides of the world and they're fighting each other. So, he is equipped with a a cod piece of sorts. See, he's wearing some type of protective unit to which he's like, how exactly do I do this? And they say, there's a flap. 
Okay, so am, I'd understand that if you were a small dick man, like, I mean, really small, I'm talking like, you know, pinky penis, and you were super fertile and had to wear this fucking thing, you'd probably never have sex ever again. You would probably just be a sperm donor. Like, they're still going to protect you, but you've got to find a way to whack that little willy off to make sure that you get the sperm that they can take in the turkey baster and shove it up somebody's hoo-ha and hopefully impregnate them. Because that's how that works, right? When you, you know, don't do... Well, what, whatever the way that it works. Uh, I just couldn't imagine being somebody like that. And, you know, luckily, hell here, I guess, has a huge dick because everybody wants to get on his fucking jock. He doesn't really want to do this, even after he signs and agrees. And she tells him, well, guess what? It's in your contract. You signed, it stays on. Well, how, 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 am, I, how am I supposed to, you know? There's a flap. It monitors your physiosexual condition. It's for your own protection. After all, it's government equipment now. Get it? It's his package. It needs to be protected. And now it's equipment. Also, the fact that he's going to be the world's biggest deadbeat dad and nobody fucking cares is fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry, but that's reserved for Antonio Cromarty, okay? So, now he's going to have to set out into the wasteland. And of course, before he does, and, and by mean set out into the wasteland, uh, set out to the wasteland to go impregnate women in the wild. Like, do they just like run around? Like, they have, like, tags on them or something. Oh, hey, there's a woman over there. Last time we checked on her, she was ovulating pretty well. Now go fuck that thing. Seriously, <laughs> this is the what we're going to be doing for the rest of the film? Is chasing down fertile women? Well, luckily, there's a briefing that we get to watch. Well, I guess that also Sam Hell gets to watch at the same time. This is a pre-recorded briefing made prior to your selection for this mission and which, for security reasons of the highest importance, has been known only to the Prime Council of the Provisional Government. Eighteen months ago, a tribe of mutant greeners ambushed the 7th Mobile Brigade of the Border Patrol. 210 women and men were brutally massacred. We have reason to believe that several civilians traveled with the brigade have been taken hostage. The rebel greeners possessed firearms in strict contravention to the mutant isolation act. Except for a lead that the firearms were obtained somewhere near Frogtown, how and from whom the weapons are obtained is still a total mystery. Okay, so... I think actually, you know, kind of listening back to it and thinking about the way that this film works, I really do think that that briefing was meant just for us, the audience. It wasn't actually meant or watched by Sam Hell, because later on, and spoiler alert right here, uh, he acts like he doesn't really know that they're going into Frogtown if we've seen this briefing. So honestly, it's truly just for us. So basically... There's Captain Toady, and he's kidnapped a bunch of women that are fertile, and they have to go into Frogtown to go rescue said women so that he can impregnate said women. Man, I don't know. Would you trade this for your type of future? Like, thinking about it? Like, well, if guess if you're infertile, uh kind of sucks right you're really not going to do anything if you wanted to have kids later on but if you're the most fertile guy in the world the government recruits you makes you a soldier pays you good salary and you just get to screw women out in the open it's not terrible for the nuclear annihilation of uh, our whole society eh, 
mean, guess I could live with it. Could you? Hmm. Ah, uh, maybe. Uh, so they continue on on their little journey, and they're joined by somebody else uh, that is random lady soldier number one uh, to go with them across the border. And when they come to the border, they're met again by Captain Devlin, who is now the basically leader of the border patrol at that entry point. I can end it all here right now. Well, your body's across the line. See, the greeners got you. Or not. They'll gun you down. Let's see who drops first, me or you. Hey, whoa, whoa, that's just all. Shut up. One way or another, we're going through. Now, is it just me, or does he sound like uh, Michael Rooker? Like, but it's not. It's somebody named William Smith, and no, not that William Smith. He's too busy at this point, probably doing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, or going on tour, talking about how parents just don't fucking understand, and soon thinking of the god-awful way that we can get jiggy with it, and be a part of the wild, wild, what? Okay, I need to fucking stop. It's not my fault. That every single movie that Will Smith makes is fucking atrocious. Except for maybe one. Not Independence Day. Anyway, so here, Captain Devlin, he's of course got a beef with uh, Sam, you know, because he fucked his daughter and impregnated her. And he really has that hard time of letting them go by. And he talks like Sergeant Slaughter at the same time. So, he eventually does let them go by, and they go into the desert of course that upsets sam and he you no know, because he could have gotten himself shot in the ass what hey ladies you just about got my ass shot off back there now we're going into hostile mutant territory at full throttle damn i hope you know what you're doing i hate to think you just lost we're going to frog town their leader commander toady has kidnapped some pilgrims who wandered into their territory and what's that to medtech they're fertile women why would mutants want to kidnap human females? Ransom. Tony knows how valuable frugals are to medtech. Or maybe he wants them for his harem. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah, and we're going to do something about it. We're going to get him out, and then you're going to get him pregnant. <laughs> I... It still makes me laugh. Like, every time I think about some of the absurdity of these lines in these movies, we're going to find them, and you are going to impregnate them. And she says them with such honesty and such earnest that it's like, how could you say that with a straight face? Like, I can see Roddy Roddy Piper every once in a while breaking character. Like, he has a smile on his face when maybe he shouldn't, and that was the best take that they got. But she's fucking serious every fucking time that she delivers a line even when she has to do the most awkward of awkward things she's a fucking professional how can you say a line like that and be totally straight-faced i i would laugh every time i really wish that i could have seen the outtakes for this movie because i bet you it would have been fucking hilarious especially when she looks at him and just goes and you're going to get them pregnant. 
I would be busting up laughing on set. And it does look like they're having fun at least filming this movie. And that's probably why I like it a lot more than maybe I should. So they keep driving along and eventually they stop because he has to go use the restroom. And when he goes, he decides that, oh, he's going to run off. And he says, I'm just going to go by that bush over there. And they're both like, "Uh uh-huh. Like they already know he's going to run off. So something's going to happen. And as he's running away, all of a sudden you hear this beeping sound and then he buckles over in pain if anyone but me tries to unlock the ecr a one ounce charge of plastic explosive will detonate beyond a certain point the proximity sensor in my earring activates the ecr electronic stinger as you can see it can be quite painful but not terribly damaging And if you get lost, my directional finder will lead me right to you. For the rest of this mission, you and I are like one unit. Remember that, soldier. Well, first of all, unit. Second of all, like, that's pretty fucked up. He's got a bomb on his fucking junk. Like, if he gets away from her uh, and he gets too far, he's going to get shocked. Like, severely fucking shocked. And then if he gets even further away from her, his dick's going to be blown off. I mean, it's going to be like that episode of South Park where the dicks all of a sudden start flying off. Except for, you know, his codpiece is totally going to fucking explode on him. And he's just got to have a pants full of fucking blood and testes spread apart his legs. And, oh, oh God, I don't even want to think about it. And I think it's hurting just thinking about it. Oh, you're going to be okay. Don't think about it. I'm going off in your pants. Don't think about a bomb going off your fence. Okay, so they decide to continue on and stop for the night. So here's, again, dreamy, rowdy, rowdy Piper without his shirt on. And she suddenly comes out of her tent, like, in her brawn panties. And in, like, military-grade brawn panties. That's right, she's wearing camo brawn panties, okay? And they still got, like, frilly things on there because they're really trying to ham up the whole thing that she's military-grade. It's weird. Uh, And in the distance, her little helper just looks over there at her with a smirk. And she begins to walk over to Sam and try to seduce him. Now, it doesn't really work at first, okay? And it's a little awkward. It's not awkward like some of the things later on, but it's pretty fucking awkward. So, she keeps trying and she uses a line. uh, Like, again, I said, it's more of a one-liner, so I didn't really want to play it, but... You're going to be hungry, is what she says. And she doesn't mean hunger as in hunger. She means as in sexual appetite. Like, eventually, you're going to want to fuck something. And I'm here to basically make sure that you stay fucking horny and that you keep up your sperm count. So, she's there basically to be a fucking foul temptress. Because when he does grab her and start kissing on her, she pushes the little thing on her earring and then begins fucking shocking his junk. Like, are you, cons- like, inconsiderate or something? Like, how fucked up is that? That you have to get him horny so that he can be potent, but then you decide to give him the ultimate fucking cock block by shocking his fucking junk? How fucked up do you have to be to even do something like that? 
Like, where is it in your head? Like, oh my god, this is protocol and this is the way that I have to do things. But hey, I'm just going to fucking shock the living shit out of you after I fucking seduce you and maybe give you the idea that you're going to be able to fuck me. But because I'm infertile, I'm not worth the sex and wasting your fucking sperm. So she runs away and she goes inside the tent. And then who comes up, lo and behold, it's the fucking other army girl. And she gets, she gets fucking naked. And I was not honestly expecting boobs in this movie. I was also not honestly expecting good boobs. And the reason I wasn't expecting boobs was because of the whole sequence with a, this fucking a Spangle girl. Of course, she's the you know type of actress that isn't going to show her tits. And I was just kind of surprised that, okay, well, if she's going to seduce him and she's not going to show him anything then I guess we're kind of getting more of a PG-13 type rating of this film. I really didn't check the rating, and it's got to be R because there's boobs. I mean, they're right there. Uh, Well, I guess it could be PG-13 because, you know, back in the 80s, you could show, like, I don't know if you maybe only could show one tit. Like, it could be just this one hangs out for a second and we're good or, like, it has to be very tasteful side boob. I mean, of course, you know, back in the day, you'd think a PG movie was something that was like Gremlins, right? Where there's things blowing up and people getting slashed and killed constantly. And that's okay for kids back in the 80s. But nowadays, oh, you can't show them anything, right? Well, looking it up on IMDb, it truly is an R rating. And primarily just because of the boobs. Because there really isn't anything in this movie that's honestly remotely gory like there's nothing there's maybe a frog hand coming off oops sorry spoiled something right away but i guess if you're going to a place called frog town and there's gonna be mutants i think you're gonna know what the fuck is there so we have her get undressed and try to have sex with roddy roddy piper and again i can imagine this being okay because he's a fucking dreamboat and he's one of the most wonderful wrestlers to ever grace our silver screen so right before he's able to get his cock right out of the flap spangler comes out and totally cock blocks him and tells her she needs to put back her uniform on and you can't waste his fucking seat turning over to the morning they decide to continue their trek further on to find more women in the wild that he's got to fuck uh while they're traveling along Spangler and Sam, they get into an argument about what exactly his contract entails him to do. That's no plan. That's a plot to murder me. I'm having no part of it. You signed a contract. Yeah, to fuck for freedom. But I ain't meeting my maker in Frogtown. That's not in my contract. Page 12, subparagraph 8. If we can't get the girls out, your field potency will then be utilized. Okay. Okay, but what if I get them pregnant and we're still in Frogtown? What happens to me? Fulfill all the terms of your contract and you won't ever have to find out. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. What? So Sam throws the contract out the window, and she gets really pissed off. She kicks him out of the car, and then tells the you know soldier girl that's with him to start driving off. He realizes that he's got to run after them, because of course, this is going to cause him to get shocked the further and further away they get away from him. So, she's just a huge fucking bitch. 
to be honest with you. She has shocked him no less than three times already and threatened to blow his fucking dick off. Really, you gotta read your fucking contracts before you sign them. So they end up catching up to some girl, and that's one of the people that has, I guess, escaped from Frogtown, uh, and is one of the fertile women. So when they finally get to a place where they can camp for the night with this girl, she tells them exactly what he has to do right away. You can start now. What are you talking about? The girl. I've injected her with Ovidal to facilitate procreation. That's why you're here, remember? Just like that? Yeah, she's ovulating and you've got a high count. Let's go. Oh, come on. I can't work like this. Come on, Hellman. It's late and I'm tired. She's never ever brushed her teeth. What is the matter? Well, she's not my type, huh? Your type? Yeah. You have preferences. Well, yeah. You know, if I kind of know her and... A little chemistry there and you know a little atmosphere would be nice oh next you're going to be telling me you have to be in love first well maybe you ought to try making love to a complete stranger in the middle of a hostile mutant territory see how you like it honestly he's got a point there right like men well i'm not saying all men but some men just can't do anything about it if somebody's watching them or you know there's a possibility that mutants are going to come and kill you or, you know, she has horrible fucking hygiene. I mean, it could be any of those things. Or, you know, that you have a cod piece where you have to stick your dick out of a fucking hole. And then <laughs> you've got to have somebody fucking watch you have sex right then and there. Well, she really doesn't. And eventually he ends up going ahead and says, okay, well, I guess it's my duty. Yeah, I guess it's my duty. I mean, you don't have to necessarily kiss her if she has bad breath, right? You could probably also put just, you know, a bag over her face. And she doesn't look bad. She's just a little fucking dirty. Uh, And it's funny because when they wake up in the morning uh, and he's done the deed and he looks, or Spangler, I should say, looks at him and the girl, she's all cleaned up. So I guess he bathed her before he went and, you know, went to town. I guess he's got his priorities, and then that's what they are. Make sure the woman is nice and clean. Well, I guess if you don't know what the fuck is going on in the wasteland, and she could have caught something with her cooch, you don't want your dick to fall off because you decided to fuck something really disgusting, right? Well, once everybody gets up and gets ready to go, they ask the girl exactly how she escaped from Frogtown. Frogtown is back that way. How far? I ran all day and all night. Where are the other girls? They're in Commander Toadie's palace. Why didn't they escape with you? They're from an order of passives. Resistance is not their way. They believe only the truly meek will inherit the earth. (laughs) Right. So, they're a bunch of passives, so they didn't decide to run away with her. But she could have possibly saved them all, too, if she was able to get away by herself. Because I'm assuming that she went and she kicked some, like, frog town inhabitant mutant fucking ass and hightailed her ass out of there. But the other girls wouldn't go with her because they're fucking passives, which sadly comes up again later in the rest of the movie. So they decide to devise this plan. Well, you see, I guess I should say that Spangle actually has the plan. And the plan is to pass her off as a prisoner and have... Sam Hell take her into town uh, and I don't know if it was originally the plan but at least try to get somehow to the harem 
Whether that's by selling her or introducing her to the Toads or giving her off as a gift, I don't know. But she decides to dress in a really kind of slutty slave outfit. Again, with the whole, like, I know it's going to happen at some point in this fucking movie, right? He's going to look at her. She's wearing those big fucking glasses. And he's going to take off the glasses. And she's going to be look so fucking hot. And it's just going to be one of those things again. And then he's going to fall in love with her. Because, you know, they're through this hard times. And she's really beautiful on the inside. But as we see in this scene here, she has no fucking personality. Tie this around my waist. Don't try to take my earrings. If they lose contact with my body, your equipment blows. You get too far away. Way your equipment blows, and if you don't do exactly what I say, your equipment blows. Understood? Did anybody ever tell you have a wonderful personality? Move out. I didn't think so. Oh, I forgot to also mention before we get into this whole thing of them leaving the frog town and everything, we got one of my favorite scenes of the movie, and both of the scenes really have to do with Spangler, but it's the seductive dance that she does. And it is the most awkward fucking thing. And this is something that you really have to look up. There are two dances that she does. And they're both my favorite things in the movie because of how fucking ridiculous and awkward both of them are. Especially the second one. But this one is supposed to be something sexy and seductive. And man, it is just not. It's so bad. I just want to, like, reach into the TV and grab her by her arms and say, Stop! You're embarrassing both of us. Me watching this movie and you doing this dance. And then... I won't talk about it now because it's much later on in the film. So, from that, then, you know, they talk to the girl. They do the whole personality thing. And then they go off into Frogtown. And when they get inside there, they meet... Rory Calhoun, who happens to be a character that goes by the name Looney Tunes because he says he's so crazy that he's the only one that survives. And he must be sane. Okay, I think it's supposed to be funny and supposed to be clever, but it's just kind of like, huh? I should also talk about what Frogtown looks like. And like I said before, it looks like kind of like a, well, an abandoned factory. Or an abandoned, like, apartment complex that was bombed to the ground in real life. And there's like the makeshift bar. And when you walk into the bar, of course, there's mutants everywhere. And then there's a bar dancer who happens to be an ugly fucking mutant with tits. And it's just disturbing. Like, the whole setting is very cheap. And when I mean very cheap, I mean extremely cheap. I don't mean Death Factory cheap or Demon Child 666 cheap. I mean, like, just they put up these sets and they did all the shoots in one fucking day and said we're done because this is all we can use of this place and there really isn't a whole lot of innovation to it i mean yeah okay it's nuclear wasteland and everything got blown to smithereens except for a couple places but you did pretty well decorating the office of like the medical center or the military center and then all of a sudden you know when even when they went outside it looks like the outside of what's going on here okay you did one nice inside shot, and then you totally reuse the outside shots for both locations. And maybe that's not the case, but it seriously looks very fucking similar. Also, the inside of the bar, it's just, it's just kind of blah. Like, they went for, like, 
a cheap version of the cantina in Star Wars, A New Hope. You know, it it's meant to be like, oh, look at all these mutants are all hanging around. And it's a bar and everybody's getting down. Blah, 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 blah. But it's really just shitty looking. And, you know, after they, they figure out with Rory and he kind of tells them, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get some money for this girl. He says, oh, I got to introduce you to Leroy because Leroy is the one that handles most of that over there. So they decide, okay, that's a good idea. And as they get off the bar, the girl that's been dancing, the mutant girl that's been dancing on the bar, goes up to Spangle and says, I love you. You want to talk about it? She's our contact. A handmaiden to the harem at Tony's palace. I love you is the code phrase. I mean, everything's going to plan. Uh. So far. What do you mean, so far? Yeah, exactly. What is this plan? You're going to go in there, you're going to get... Sam killed? That's basically what it kind of sounds like. You're using yourself as bait to, I guess, become a part of the harem? I'm not exactly sure what it is or what she expected, but I guess everything is going to plan. So, then, Sam, he goes over and he finally gets to meet Leroy. And Leroy's given him some food that looks absolutely disgusting, but he eats it. To make sure that he has a proper standing with Leroy. <laughs> a noble gesture, Mr. Hell. You see it so rarely these days. May I suggest a chaser? Please. Beer. Real beer. Where'd you get this? Some miners found a case in an abandoned mine. It's only slightly radioactive. So now we know who sponsored the movie because Coors is shown. And not Coors Light. I'm talking about the banquet beer. Okay? That's like one minor step up from Budweiser. Maybe not even a step up. It's probably a step down. But it's still water. And if it's radioactive, maybe it gives it a little bit more flavor. Right? But he's just excited to finally have fucking beer. And he downs the thing so fucking fast. Even after really learning that it's radioactive and it's probably going to kill his inside. But hey, man, when you need a fucking beer after eating mutant slop, you go for Coors. Radioactive Coors. Now... The radioactive banquet beer. So they continue to talk. And he starts to kind of negotiate what the price of Spangle is going to be. And of course, this is when we learn about Bull. And Bull, he really doesn't like humans. And he's kind of like the right-hand man of uh, Captain Toady. And I forgot to mention. I can't believe I forgot to mention at this point that... Leroy is a mutant. Not just any mutant, a mutant frog. That's right. The mutants are basically just giant fucking frogs. I don't know if they've grown out from, you know, the radiation that was caused by all the nuclear bombs going off and the frogs just kind of mutated from them. But, of course, there is this type of strain between the mutants and the humans. And I'll I'll let Leroy kind of explain it. There is a lot of bad feeling towards humanity here. It wasn't bad enough that we 
Unfortunate creatures were created as a byproduct of human warfare, but then your kind, your kind, herded us on to these reservations as if we were cattle. Hey, I had no part in that. I hate the government. All government. Now, you could make a lot of comparisons to a lot of parts of uh, American history. But the closest one that I can say is that the mutants are basically like the... Well, they're kind of like the Indians and being forced onto reservations, you know, back way back when. Uh, And that's what they've basically done to them. Like, we created them, and then we threw them on there, and that was it. Here you go. Here's your land. This is where you stay. Whatever else is going on. So as they keep negotiating the price for poor old Spangle here... Sam tries to show her off as the perfect specimen to basically be his love slave. And Leroy's basically saying, no, I don't need a love slave. What I actually need is somebody that can basically dance and strip here uh, and bring in the customers to make sure the bar keeps working. And to which there is a funny retort from Sam Hell saying, man, she can dance and she can dance erotically. Her speciality is sensual dancing. Of course, which, you know, is to draw a laugh from you from what you saw earlier in the film. While they keep talking, they get interrupted as Bull comes into the bar and notices that there is an attractive girl here and wants to know whose girl that is. Who brought this here? I did. What's it to you? Where are you from, stranger? Nowhere nice. Got a name? Hell. Sam Hell. Never heard of you. She yours? Bartered to Leroy. Private Barton. Well, yes, Bull. Shut your hole! No private Barton's allowed in Frogtown! Cody's law! Leroy knows that! Looks like your deal just got cancelled. How about it, boys? Auction! (laughs) I start the bidding at five lilies! Well? The bid stands at five. I bid five. It ain't good enough. So the main problem that I have with Bull, other than the fact that these... And and it's the same with Leroy, too. These costumes are really fucking crappy. Okay, they look kind of cool up close, and they do really neat little things in terms of, like, them being frogs. Like, you see their, like, skin kind of bulge, you know, around the neck, like a bullfrog would. Of course, his name is Bull. He's a bullfrog. Uh, But the mouth... On both of them barely fucking moves it barely moves up and down in time with them talking it's like teenage mutant ninja turtles 3 right when you look at the turtles in that one the costume is so shitty or that really shitty teenage mutant ninja turtles music video that they did for like the christmas special okay i'm going way too far into teenage mutant ninja turtles but you kind of get the point where the animatronics of the face are really really bad and the mouth just kind of moves and then he goes from talking One, they both kind of talk like James Earl Jones. I don't know why, but that's the voice that I get in my head where both of them talk. But he goes from, 
and I think that we're going to uh, have sex with your girl because I said so. Like that's the type of like voice that he has. It's either really fucking low or it's fucking yelling all the fucking time. I don't understand like the choice of actor uh, well the choice of direction that the actor took for the voice or that the director gave him that says you need to make this a little campier than campy and it's hilarious because the guy that does it the actor is nicholas worth and he did pass away in 2007 so i don't want to be too hard on the guy but like his number one filmography that he has known for if he has this set on uh imdb is the naked gun as thug number one and he was also in dark man as polly but i don't remember that character very much but it's just kind of funny that like the choices that he took to do this role are always either talking really low or talking extremely loud like this not in the character voice that you heard before because his voice when he talks down is like this no this is like sean conray type voice yes yes money penny uh, no, 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 we, we we can't afford John Connery in this fucking podcast, okay? He's not, you know, like the other guests that we've had so far. So, anyway, um, he ends up beating the shit out of poor hell here and takes uh, Spangle along with him. So we cut to Sam waking up the next morning. Uh, well, I wouldn't say necessarily the next morning, within the next couple of minutes. And he is with the mutant girl that said i love you earlier she tells him he's very fortunate that he's still alive and that he survived the attack by bull we cut over to a really short scene of bull walking along like a catwalk and then he very lazily takes her chain and like wraps it around part of the catwalk but doesn't really attach it with anything just does that and he goes and talks to good old Mr. Squidlips uh, that we just saw at the beginning of the movie, and we saw for a second inside the bar, and he tells him something that shocks Bull. Uh, and there's also a really shitty thing of Bull scaring Spangler or trying to scare Spangler. He goes, and it's just really dumb. <laughs> That's all I can say. So she easily unwraps the chain, and then when she tries to run away, she's confronted by guards with swords, stops, and just waits for Bull to come get her again. We cut back over to where Sam is talking to the mutant girl, and he begins to thank her for the help that she has done for him and Spangler. I want to thank you for helping us. I do. Oh, wait a second, lady. I don't even know you. But I know you. <laughs> even here, your name is Legend. Oh, yeah. Sam Hell. Help me wander the wasteland. The fearless war hero. Is that so bad? It's real tiring. I, I don't want to talk about it. I understand. You do? So, <laughs> everybody wants to fuck him. Even the fucking mutants want to fuck him. That is the character. He, is he that well known because he's that virile? And, like, does he have a really big dick? Is that the reason why everybody wants to? Because even, you know, when El Soldier Lady Number One, like, goes over and strips and tries to fuck him, she's like, I know what you're about and I just want to see what it is. Like, he's just got that reputation that just, like, 
oozes sexuality. Oh my god, you're like the most virile guy possible that even mutants want to have sex with him. And the funny thing is, is that he almost goes through with it because he gives her a bag to put over her head so that he could do the deed and thank her for helping them. But when he does, his junk starts beeping. Which means that Spangler is starting to get out of reach and he's about to get shocked fucking hard. So he follows along the catwalks and everything else and comes to a point where the beeping actually kind of, like, it dies down. It gets quieter. But you would think that even if he walked into the area because everybody is down there below him, that they would know that his junk was fucking beeping or they would hear that beeping sound. And then he witnesses a transaction between somebody that's kind of cloaked and has a very hard voice to, like, hear and uh, ends up, you know, falling down and becomes a part of the trap with them and gets captured by Bull. Uh, Spangler, she gets put in with the harem and Bull uh, itself, like, he ends up going and stringing up uh, poor Sam to, you know, some type of rafters. Uh, and of course, it looks like he's taking his shirt off because, you know, if you're going to capture Sam Hell, you might as well see those pecs too. And he really wants to know why this guy is so important to them. So he decides he's going to take off the uh, little, you know, cod piece with a fucking chainsaw. And with no regard for Sam's junk either. Because if he doesn't do it right, one, he could set off the bomb that's in the fucking cod piece. And two, he could, you know, accidentally cut his fucking uh, dick off. And he'd never be able to use it again. And again, you get that weird voice control. Like, the fact that he can't control it within the scene that he's talking with Sam. And it's obviously dubbed in after because of the quality of how Sam talks and how Bull talks. We're spared. In the harem. Being prepared for a night she'll never forget. I'll see if I can do the same for you. See, you can hear it in the way that when Sam talks, it's a little quieter and distant. But even when... You know, we go to that low registered version of, you know, Bull's voice. It's still a lot higher than what Sam sounds like. We go back into the harem where they're doing some type of weird cloth ritual on top of her. Uh, I don't fucking know. Like, they're fucking taking, like, scarves or silk or whatever and just lifting it up in the air and she's getting all fucking horned up and... Well, at least she looks like that, and she's definitely flabbergasted, and they kind of talk to her why they're doing this exactly. I feel so alive. Yes. Without great passion, you cannot face the dance of the three snakes. Two of our companions went to their fate cold with fear and did not survive. Something seems to have stirred your senses. Or someone. So, I can't really tell, but I don't know, well, I also don't know if I really want to imagine it, but it kind of looks like she's getting eaten out. Like, seriously, she's in such ecstasy with the cloth and everything coming over that she is 
obviously fucking getting wet as a motherfucker and probably orgasming as they're talking to her. And it's just from cloths and because she's thinking about somebody. And that one dude she's thinking about she must be thinking about Sam Hell. Right? It's fucking ridiculous and so obvious. Uh, and we cut over, we see the mutant girl and Rory Calhoun, they're talking about how they're going to rescue her. Well, they're going to rescue Sam. And at first, Looney protests because he thinks he should be the one. But she says, no, you're too old and I'll be able to run faster once we actually get him. Which sounds like a pretty good plan. We go back down to where Sam is and he's finally, Bull, has gotten the gas that he needs to get the goddamn chainsaw to work. So he comes over and he starts chainsawing off the cod piece from Sam. There is a shit ton of sparks that fly up into his face and he manages to actually get the goddamn thing off. And we wonder, are there any consequences to him actually taking that damn thing off? Wired to blow. <laughs> so fake. She tricked me. nope it wasn't a fake it blew up right in front of bull's face so in comes the mutant girl and she rescues sam and as they leave bull comes out one more time and stabs the living shit out of the mutant girl i guess that means she won't be able to get that dick as her reward uh sam ends up killing bull and then goes off to find where spangle exactly is spangle herself is now has been taken out of the harem where she tries to escape for one moment but of course the other girls are pacifists so they don't want to fucking do anything really you'd be able to fucking escape and you're just gonna sit there and fucking take it i i just don't get it and one of your girls two of your girls have died to the dance of the three snakes and what the fuck is this dance of the three snakes like have they told anybody is it a dance that she's just gonna do she's gonna know by heart well she's brought in front of captain toady here and he tells her hey you gotta dance or you're gonna fucking die dance for me the only dance i'm gonna do is the dance on your grave dance or die Modern ballet. The dance of the three snakes. So now comes the absolute favorite part of the movie, which is the dance of the three snakes. Now, what is the Dance of the Three Snakes? Well, before we get into what exactly it is, we need to talk about her outfit. And the biggest thing I want to talk about are her panties, which have like a mound of white fur stuff on top of it. It's like, why did you make that costume choice? Why does it have to be so goddamn furry? I I don't get it. Like, is that supposed to be sexy? Is that supposed to be attractive? I'd much rather have her still in the fucking camo stuff than the stuff that she's wearing right now. So, after thinking about what she's going to do, she starts doing uh, 
I guess, which is one of her seduction dances, and it's way more awkward than the seduction dance that we saw earlier. And really, this is something you have to see to believe. And there are clips available on YouTube, and there will be a clip that I'll put up on the Facebook page so that you can watch it uh, yourself directly from there. But it is the most ridiculous thing that I think I have seen. And what does it turn out to be? It turns out to be just one big fucking dick joke. Because it's not about the dance that she's doing. It's about arousing Toady, who has three snakes in his fucking pants. That's right. You heard me. He's got three fucking dicks. And when she realizes that, she realizes how she can actually end the dance of the three snakes. Come to me. I ain't going near any of those things. No! Wait. Uh... I just thought of some new steps. Mm-hmm. That's right. She kicks him in the dick three different times. Well, I guess he, she kicks him in the three dicks, right? And it's so funny when she rejects him. He's like, no. Like, he's never been rejected by anybody. Well, I guess because other people are pacifists. So they're probably like, okay, we danced. And now I get to have three dicks in my one hole. Oh, God. No. Are they that big? Could they use all the holes? I mean, maybe two at once, but that other one would have to be awfully fucking long to get to that fucking third hole, wouldn't it? I bet you just think, this is all of a sudden fucking turn into hentai. Like, this is tentacle fucking porn. That's what we're about to watch, and I'm glad to fucking God that she decided to kick him in the junk three fucking times. So before she's completely attacked by Toadie and his crew, Sam busts in with his shotguns that he's gotten from the weapon crates that were delivered to the frog people, and he is wildly fucking inaccurate. I mean, he's got to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and he's all out of both ass and bubblegum because he can't fucking fire his fucking shotguns. So the Toad Captain, Captain Toadie, uh, he escapes along with a couple of his minions, and they chase after him. They go along a hallway because they decide they're going to rescue the girls inside of the harem, and that's where they kind of have a heart-to-heart after talking about the mysterious hooded figure that they saw earlier. Someone's dealing guns to the greeners. Somebody named Count Sodom. It was your wife's, wasn't it? It's my daughter's. That's all I could find. The war was a long time ago. Not for me. The war wasn't that long ago. The war was only ten fucking years ago. That's barely anything. And he he has memories because his daughter and his wife were both fucking blown to shit during one of the nuclear strikes. And the only thing that he could fucking find was his daughter's pendant. Like, you don't fucking, like... There needs to be some type of fucking sympathy from her, and there really isn't anything there. Though, I guess maybe there's a little bit of something, but it goes right from that to her going over to the guards, beating the shit out of him. He's like, I guess you don't need my fucking help, and you don't need those fucking guns either. But this is 
some type of weird fucking backstory that maybe we should know about and maybe like a flashback or something like that. But do you really need to talk about it? And especially what happens with the fucking pendant later on fucking just like blows my mind why we even need to fucking know about it. Couldn't it just been a relic of his past that he kept onto that didn't necessarily have to have any type of like familial type of significance like it could have just been something that he's been holding on like he was given as a gift as a child you know something that would make him i don't know you you're trying to make him like this heartfelt type of character in this moment maybe this is like a redemption scene for him or something like that but you've never really talked about the fucking thing except for one time when she looked over and he was like holding on to it but they didn't speak about anything so why does it need to be something about you know family or his daughter or some shit just Whatever. I I just don't fucking get it. So, they leave. They are able to gather the girls. They get outside. uh, And Rory's able to fire the flare, which brings over the girl with the truck. And they begin loading everybody in the truck. Rory, he gets uh, mortally wounded uh, as they begin to drive away. And he does pass away inside the car. Uh, they think that they've gotten away when they're stopped by the man that has the, that was wearing the cloak, and he has such a weird fucking choice as a voiceover. Going my way. Everybody out. Now. He totally ha- sounds like he has one of those like voice boxes, like you know. Ned Gerblensky from South Park, right? I'm gonna do that thing here. Like, it's really like a shitty version of that. And it's a weird voiceover. And of course, they get out of the car because he's pointing a bazooka with a rocket on the end of it. Well, I guess it would be more like a rocket launcher, not necessarily a bazooka. Uh, my bad, but I don't give a shit. Uh, and he ends up taking off the mask, and guess who it is? It's old man Wilson, and he's mad that the Scooby-Doo gang has come in and ruined his idea of getting the insurance money from the fucking theme park. Well, no, it's Captain Devlin from the beginning of the film. He is Count Sodom, or what the fuck his name is? Like, the, the costume is horrible. He looks like he's fucking, like, one of the sand people from Star Wars, but made even worse like that Turkish Star Wars movie and he's wearing a Mercedes-Benz emblem on his fucking chest. I shit you not. Maybe they're trying to make it look like something different but they fucking just jacked it off a fucking Mercedes and cut the bottom and just tied the fucking coat to it or something. And so he reveals himself to everybody. And of course, like every fucking bad guy, he reveals to them the reasons why he's done what he's done because he thinks he has them in checkmate. See, this used to be a man's world, Sam. But now there are too many women that have us by the short hairs. But I'm going to change that. Ideal arms to the greeners for their uranium. And then I give it to renegade scientists for processing. Get away. Get away from here. Soon I shall have the only nuclear weapon since the war. And then I'll wipe the slate clean. Cross. And I'll get rid of the sword. weak ones. And the criminals. Hand it to me. I'm a passive. 
and then rid this world of those meddling medtech bitches. We're all gonna die. Starting with her. So before he's able to shoot Spangler, the bitch, passive bitch, actually gives him the sword, and he throws it right through him, and he dies like a fucking bitch. Like the bitch that he is. Like, seriously. And it's funny because there's also one liner at the end of it where uh, Sam, he says, Oh, you long-witted son of a bitch. And so he tells the girls, go back to the car. I'll be right back. I'm going to make sure that he's dead, basically. Uh, And goes and checks him out, grabs the rocket launcher, realizes that uh, Captain Sodom or Devlin or what the fuck. Like, useless fucking villain. Like, why are we bringing this villain, like, so fucking late into the thing? When we should really just be focusing on the frogs. I know it's kind of neat to tie everything back up. But again, like a Scooby-Doo fucking special, he is just like introduced a little bit in the beginning, really has nothing else to do, and then boom, he's the fucking main bad guy of the fucking film. Well, when he comes back, Sam comes back to the car, he notices it's completely destroyed, to which he believes that Captain Toadie and his crew has now killed... All the girls that he's came to rescue, plus the soldier girl, plus now his number one squeeze, Spangle. And he waits while Captain Toadie slowly crawls up the hill in his vehicle. Of course, he's been chasing him, I forgot to tell you, in some type of, like, tank thing. Like, it's like a Jeep with, like, mounted, like, tank gun on it. I don't know how it works. It works. It's able to blow up that fucking car. I don't really give a shit. Uh, and... When they finally pull up, he threatens Captain Toady with his rocket launcher, but gives the other guys a chance to leave. We got him! <laughs> Drop your weapons! <sighs> Drop them! If you want to live, run! Not you, Toady. We're going down together. I love sometimes when Roddy Roddy Piper, he's trying to act and he's trying to be a little more intense. He gets all gravelly. He just gets so gravelly that it's just so utterly hilarious and it's absolutely perfect for the moment that you got there. Of course, when he tries to fire the rocket launcher at Captain Toadie in his car, it doesn't fucking work. It doesn't fucking fire. Great. He has stolen, well... I guess Count Sodom, whatever the fuck that guy wants to be, has stolen bogus fucking equipment and this shit actually don't work and he didn't have to sacrifice all the girls' lives just to figure out whether or not the guy was dead or not. And then you get the ultimate fight in between Captain Toadie and Sam Hell. And they start, like, you know, going all over the place and fighting each other, stabbing each other. Well, not really stabbing each other. Uh, he, you know, he's just such a bad shot. Uh, when he's trying to shoot at him, he hits him right in the fucking dick. He pokes him in the eyes. You know, they're basically fighting back and forth to the point that, you know, he's trying to get his sword so that he can cut the fuck out of Captain Toadie, but they keep knocking it away. And eventually, he holds on to the edge of a cliff. And... 
this is probably the most ridiculous thing that you'll see in the longest time. And it's not the fact that, it, you know, he's holding on to the legs of Sam and he's going to drag him down to the cliff in any fucking moment and he's going to take them both out together and Sam at the last minute is able to grab the katana and he swings and he slices the hands right off of Captain Toadie and Toadie falls to his doom. Of course not. That's what you want to see. That's great. It's the perspective that they use because the cliff when you look at him it doesn't look like it's that fucking high up and but when they show captain toady lying on the ground he's fallen from a huge fucking distance like maybe he fell you know it's it's just the weird perspective that they use that it doesn't seem like it's that big so it, you can tell that while he's on the ledge with the suit, it's basically him just kind of standing there and maybe a little over a ledge just to get the dramatic effect. But they don't show him fall to his death, so when he hits, you know, you see him on the ground, the perspective is much greater. And it's just kind of hilarious. So, now that Sam has saved the day... He has to go back and he has to figure out what is he going to do because all the girls are dead and his newfound love interest in Spangle, she's gone away too. But of course, they're off in the distance and as he's kind of, you know, being sad there, he sees them and he begins to cheer up and Spangle comes over him to talk and for some reason, he starts getting mad at her. We thought you were dead. Where were you? When we saw that thing, we took cover. I told you the plan would work. Plan? That was a plot to murder me. I ought to kick your butt. Oh, just try it, Buster. So, of course, they kiss, and everything's all happy and stuff like that. And she says, you can't waste your thing. And he's like, what do you mean I'm going to waste it? You know, maybe now that dance that they did back in the thing, she's fertile or something now. They have magical powers like that, and they can make it so, you know, they're pacifist powers to turn her fertile with cloth. I don't know. So they all pile up into Captain Toadie's car. And I should mention those other guys ran away, but they couldn't have run that far, right? Like, unless they killed him. I mean, they could always come back, maybe set something on the... Oh, well, I don't give a shit what's going on. So they all pile up into the new family roadster and begin to drive away there's one last exchange on what sam is going to have to do for his country and then we get the end credits and the end theme song medtech owes you a lot maybe after you complete your duties i can get us a couple of weeks leave that sounds great (laughs) what do you mean when i'm finished my duties Oh, I guess what they say is true. What's that? A soldier's work is never done.
So it's a happy ending for everybody. He gets the girl, and he gets to fuck the girls to get them pregnant. He's accomplished his duty, he's came through, and what does he get for it, other than lots and lots of sex? He gets a shitty fucking end song! This is the bullshit that I'm talking- Like, there should have been some type of, like, really cool or cheesy fucking, like, you know, Bob Seger type of song at the end of it talking about hell comes to Frogtown. Even if it was like a country, you know, and that's when hell comes to Frogtown. Hell come to Frogtown. You know, something that would be like kind of cool or kind of cheesy like that. But instead we... It's so fucking ridiculous and like happy, cheesy, cheery, fucking generic as fuck. Just do something. Have fucking Roddy Roddy Piper sing the end theme song. Or hell, get somebody else to come in and just do it for fucking fun. I've seen plenty of films where you've had a really shitty horror movie and at the end of it they have something performed by some local band that just made a song so that they could get their name out there and boom, you have it. They do it for the cheap. That's it. The exposure. You could have had a really fucking like badass fucking song at the end of this film and I think it would have been the cherry on top of this wonderful Sunday that is Hell Comes to Frogtown. So overall, what is the big thing with the film? It's, well, it's very tongue-in-cheek. As much as I complain about a bunch of it, it's really fucking entertaining. I had a smile on my face the entire time I watched this fucking film. Because it's so ridiculous. It truly is the definition of it's so bad it's good. From the really horrible acting that Rowdy Roddy Piper... uh, Somewhat bettered by the time his other film came out at the end of the year... It's magical. It's absolutely magical. The only thing I don't really care so much about is William Smith, because that character doesn't need to be in the fucking movie. Have him just chase after him, and he's gonna, you know what, before he can impregnate more women, or if he believes that he's raping the women or whatever, he's chasing him like the gunslinger chased the man in black into the West. Right? But instead, he's chasing the impregnating man as he walked into the West. It's... Just the costumes, too. The costumes are so bad for the frogs. The one for Captain Toady isn't bad, and I didn't talk about it previously, but it's it looks more defined because he's supposed to be the big old bad guy, right, of the film. But the mouth still doesn't quite work the way it is, and the voice... It's again, it's mostly just, you know, that's what you basically get out of the goddamn guy. You get one guy that's fucking acting with the low voice and the high voice, and then you get Leroy, who obviously is actually the best voiceover for any of them, and I wish you had seen more of Leroy. But again, the costume and the animatronics are just so bad that it's just, eh. But it's, again, it's so bad it does add to the charm of the fucking film. Now, what does that leave us with? Well, the ratings for the review. For gore, I give it a 1 out of 5, because there's really nothing very gory other than seeing Captain Toadie's hand getting chopped off, and I'll give it a pity 1 for that. Uh, Crap Factor, it is a 5 out of fucking 5. It is really crappy, really low budget, but... 
that also, like I said, gives it a fun factor of a 5 out of 5 because it adds, like I said, to the charm of the film and the entertainment and the enjoyment of watching it. From watching Sandal Bergman give a honestly great performance of being kind of the straight woman for the most part but still getting to that oh she's looking nerdy and she's gonna look hot i think she looked pretty good you know maybe not so much in that fluffy panty thing but for the most part she took the role like she had fun with it when she got to have fun with it and she played it straight when she had to play it straight and it really does add emphasis to the character even though the character is kind of annoying it does get a little better by the end but not very much of course then you've got the shitty acting of rowdy rowdy piper and really the rest of them i mean rory calhoun what the fuck are you doing in this movie you really did not need to do this at all and the fact that your character just randomly dies like everybody that they meet basically dies in some way shape or form except for the harem that they capture and well i guess i should say then his friends basically die and somebody that wants to fuck him uh which happens to be a mutant which i'm glad they didn't show anything on that but for the most part it's really fun and entertaining like like i've been saying uh within the first 15 minutes you see the sign in the wall that says no condoms it's gonna be an entertaining movie because it's taking itself so tongue-in-cheek and it's making fun of itself at the same time it's like watching starship troopers right you realize that that movie is terrible it is a terrible sci-fi movie but it is one of the most fucking entertaining movies that i have seen in the sci-fi genre just because it didn't take itself seriously and it knows that it's doing things that are terrible and making fun of itself and making fun of our society with the propaganda that's what this has got going for it you have a very thin plot of a guy basically going out to rescue some girls so he can fuck them and get them pregnant so he can be the worst baby daddy of all time so for my final score for this film i give it four out of five three dick frogs it is a must watch for anybody that loves it's so bad it's good movies that if you just want to laugh you just want to have a good time it's not truly a horror film even though it's kind of lumped into the category you know it could be a sci-fi film but it really kind of doesn't fit that mold either other than being in a post-apocalyptic world where women uh there are not as many men as women and women aren't very fertile so uh again it's a great movie to start off roddy roddy piper month and i'm only doing two films for the month uh in season two here but if you've never seen this movie do yourself a favor and hopefully you saw the movie before you got to the end of the podcast now let's listen in and find out what the worst kept secret of the next movie is going to be for the podcast What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them, they're everywhere! 
owner. We have no other choice. I don't like this one. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business. Ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. This is what I say to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletale. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. That's right, it's time to kick ass and chew bubblegum with the next episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast with They Live. Probably the worst kept secret in all of podcasting, uh, but it is a movie that is so dear to my heart, and I feel like while there are other Roddy Roddy Piper films that you could watch uh, and that I could do for this podcast, I would be doing an injustice to you guys as the fans if I did not talk about that movie. It is one of my favorite movies of possibly of all time because of the batshit fucking sequence that almost takes 20 minutes that South Park lampooned to almost exact precision in Cripple Fight. Uh, it is the spawning of that phrase for Duke Nukem. Uh, it is uh, a great biting commentary on society, and it is a terribly acted film, except for Keith Davidson, who I fucking adore with all my heart, uh, because one, he's a fucking badass, and two, he's got one of the most badass fucking voices around Three, because he voiced Spawn on the animated series. And four, because he voiced Goliath on the Gargoyle series for Disney. And it was the reason why I got hooked into both. Uh, and he does a great job in this film as well. Uh, so that film, it is available uh, to rent on YouTube, iTunes, Amazon. Uh, I'm not sure if it's available on any streaming platforms right now. I know it's not available on Netflix. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of ways that you could watch it. Uh, it is a film that I say you should, if you've never watched it before, uh, or you need a refresher, watch it before the podcast, uh, which will be out in the next two weeks following the release of this one. I want to give a big shout out to the Knights of the Video Game Table, uh, those guys have been going strong. I believe they're on episode 196, if I'm not mistaken. It might be 195. Uh, but uh, you should give that podcast a listen to. It is an all-video game podcast. Uh, and uh, those guys were nice enough to give me a shout-out on their podcast. And I would like to give them a shout-out on here. Uh, also, you can always follow the podcast on Twitter, T underscore T underscore podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, review to us, uh, or, well, for the podcast, I should say, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, um, and all those great platforms that are out there. Uh, especially on iTunes, where if you give the reviews out there, um, then 
it helps me get seen, you know, with, of course, with better reviews, I get more visibility as well. Uh, and if you do leave a review, I know that I've gotten five. Uh, whether it's good or bad, say something. Say the reason why you gave me that one star. If, you know, you decided you didn't like it and you're giving me a one star because you're giving me a one star, tell me what I could do better. Uh, or what you would like to hear in terms of content. You know, just give me something. Don't just give me a fucking one star and run away. Uh, and you can always email ideas over to terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com uh, and uh, follow us on Instagram, Terrible Terror Podcast, Facebook page, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast. Uh, and uh, there will always be kind of new, exciting things that you can see in the future. Um, I know I need to get more active on the fucking Facebook page, so don't fucking remind me. Uh, but uh, always active, extremely active on Twitter and been more active on Instagram. So uh, you can always check out there and, and message me too if you want to me to look at a movie. I'm still looking for one more sci-fi movie. I've got an idea of what I want uh, for the sci-fi month. I have a one that I know, I have one I've never seen. I saw the trailer recently got released on uh, Blu-ray uh, and uh, I think it's a perfect fit for a sci-fi film. Um, uh, and for the hell of it, too, I'm going to plug Mystery Science Theater 3000, the reboot. I know they probably don't need it, and a lot of people put it at the Kickstarter, but I've been watching it on Netflix, and it is fantastic. Uh, they just I just watched the episode with uh, Star Crasher, which is one of the Italian ripoffs uh, for uh, Star Wars, and it's got the Hoff in it, and if you can't enjoy it with the Hoff, you you really can't enjoy anything else. And I really wish I had picked a couple of those movies because uh, they are fantastic. And there's another Bigfoot movie in there uh, that's not necessarily a horror movie, but it's kind of, I guess it's kind of build like that um, that you could see. Uh, I believe that was episode two of the season. I just can't remember the name of the film off the top of my head. Uh, and of course... I, you know, I always want to thank everybody that's given the suggestions and you guys for listening to the podcast. Because without you guys listening, I wouldn't be able to do this uh, all the time uh, and have fun with it and entertain the ones that truly enjoy the podcast. So I thank you. Tell your friends and everything. Uh, there will be an episode after this episode. Uh, we I did record a bonus episode with a special guest who you will find out in that episode. I'm not going to say his name here. He knows who he is. Uh, and uh, it is a returning guest, and I had a wonderful time. We were talking about sequels, uh, and uh, it, it's something that uh, I've, you know, I'm glad that he reached out because he awesome guy to talk to and i hope you guys really enjoyed that so next week uh there will actually be a episode just not a uh, review it will be a bonus episode uh part of season two so look forward to that and uh i guess that's it for the episode thank you very much for the suggestion watch they live watch hell comes to Frogtown if you have not seen it Watch Mystery Science Theater 3000 available on Netflix. Uh, listen to Knights of the Video Game Table if you enjoy video games. And I will talk to you all later. Bye.